if we could have just sung those four songs, those four songs to the entire world, the gospel would have been thoroughly and beautifully shared. I love those songs. In fact, I did ask him if we could do, well, I picked three out of four. I, I left him the one to pick, but he was gracious to let me do that. I knew this day was coming for several weeks, and I looked ahead to the day, June 6th. That's an interesting day, and God began at that point to give me the message for today, so hang on and we'll see what happens with his wonderful grace and mercy. Let's pray. Father, we prayed today already for this great event occurring in the Dingus family and Emily's family, and, and many relatives and friends will be there this afternoon. It's a wonderful thing, Father. And we've also praised you for the home going of Basil. Although it leaves us with one less brother in Christ to, to share with, but that's part of this life on this earth. You will be preached throughout this world in so many languages and places. Uh, it's just unimaginable, really. We won't know the extent of that until you draw us all to heaven someday. And we're all there together. And then we will understand fully the magnitude of what that looks like. There's just a few of us here today, but it's a wonderful group. I love these people, the ones I know. We have visitors. We pray they would enjoy being in your house with fellow believers. Well, if there's anyone here today, Father, that doesn't know you, it would be so wonderful, so glorious, if you would choose this day to call them to yourself. And let this be the beginning of a wonderful journey for them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 77 years ago this morning, one of the most amazing invasions, military invasions the world had ever seen took place. And we lost hundreds and hundreds of Americans and Canadians and a number of different nationalities were involved. The invasion of the western part of France and the Normandy coast in order to free this world of what we knew at that time to be the worst enemy, just about the worst the world had ever seen. Even the mention of Adolf Hitler's name brings certain pictures to us, certain visions, certain thoughts. And that had to be done in order to rid this free world of that man. So he was the great enemy. The last 18 months, we've dealt with a very silent enemy, a very quiet one, unseen, and yet has worked its way throughout the entire world and has taken many, many lives and made many, many people ill. This COVID has been a monster in, in a way that it has affected our lives. We've had so many discussions about social distancing and masks and and much less getting ill and when to get vaccines or not. The whole works. It has been a horrible thing. And to be honest, it has been an enemy. Uh, it has been used to be an enemy of the human race. In just the last 12 months, we've seen unrest in this nation and other nations uh, that we've not seen in a long time, not since probably the 60s in our country, uh, just groups, different kind of groups of people demanding that things be made right 
And I understand that demand. Uh, we would like to do that as believers. We would like to say, we, Lord, we would like to see things made right today. Our patience is good. We, I'm an impatient person. I'm always talking with him and trying to give him ideas how he could do it better, uh, trying to give him little hints, and he never asks for them, but he's patient with me, loving with me. He puts up with me. But so we've, uh, so we've got enemies, we think, everywhere. But are these three that I've just mentioned, are they real enemies? We would see them that way. I, we would name them that way. Many things point that way. Have you ever had your parents... When you were younger, look at you and point a finger and say, you are your own worst enemy. I remember hearing that from my mom. I got myself in trouble, and I did it. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I did it. So the word enemy is often thrown around. But I want us to look briefly at the real enemy. It's funny how Carl started it last week with this very verse, 1 Peter 5. Verse uh, 8. Oh, inside your bulletin, I've got listed a, a bunch of verses. Rather than you have to look them up, you, can, you have them right there, but you don't have this one. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Those are very strong words. And it could have even been stronger. But that's our adversary. That's our enemy. You know, when Carl started last week, I leaned over to Nancy and went, oh, my goodness, we're going to be talking about basically the same thing two weeks in a row. I said, well, that's why you have the double-edged sword. So I told her, just like Yogi Berra, some of you may remember him, it's deja vu all over again. <laughs> we're going to look at the real enemy. Satan is our real enemy. He's not the cartoon figure we, we saw as a kid on some cartoons. Red suit, big pointy nose horns, a tail that goes way out, comes to a point, always doing bad and so forth. We, he's not that way. And he, if we could really understand the power, the amazing abilities he has, we would understand our world better. He's the real enemy. So why is it important for us to put the blame on the real enemy? It doesn't excuse humans. We stand before God, born sinners. We're conceived in sin, just like David said about himself. We are sinners. We need, a, for, we need forgiveness as we confess before our God that we need him. Christ is Savior. That is what we need. But there is someone always behind us as believers, as unbelievers, prodding, pushing, pushing, prodding, pushing. If you don't feel it, uh, I, I know you do. It's not that if you don't feel it. So it is very important to put the blame where it belongs. We share our part of the blame, but Satan is out to seek to, to seek every one of us to destroy us if he can, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And we better not lose sight of that and begin to blame, put blame on just people. There's plenty of blame to go around, but it doesn't stop with him. We've got to keep that in mind. It's very important to do that. Our natural man enjoys placing blame. We always do. As sinners saved by grace, we ourselves are often in the wrong too. Thank God for his daily grace and mercy. That once he saved us, he said, okay, Dave, when I was 22, it's a done deal. 
you never have to do this again. He wasn't giving me a license to sin. He was giving me a wonderful, gracious opportunity to seek him with everything I was and am. So, why do we put the blame where it belongs? Let's look at this. Look at, on your verses there, where it says man's sinfulness, Satan's influences. Romans 8, 7 covers it. Now, remember, this is Paul. Good old Paul speaking. Paul, who hated the church with a hatred that was vicious and vile. On the road to Damascus, he fell down. I think before he hit the ground, before he hit the ground, he was totally changed. He didn't understand it at the time, but he was a changed man and began to pursue loving Christ with the same intensity that he hated Christ. That shows what happens to us when we become believers. Look at Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, unbelievers, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Folks, the unbelievers that we see raving and ranting, the shrillness, the sounds, the finding fault with this, that, everything, most of these people, if they're unbelievers, they cannot understand the wonderful grace of God until he draws them, until he calls them. Here's Paul again in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to, to him, foolishness, folderol, ridiculous. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There again, are you beginning to sense, if you're a believer, the graciousness and wonder of a God that would choose you? allow you to come to know him. I sense it more as I get older. Proverbs 21.2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is a wonderful passage here for Christ shows us through the Pharisees, the ones who should know truth the best, knew it the least in many ways. He was trying to explain to them their folly. Listen to this, John 8, 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because of these upper, upper verses here. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It has nothing to do with truth because there's no truth in it. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus summed up for them where they were. He told the most important spiritual, spiritual beings in all of Jewelry, this is who you are. So we need to put those things in perspective. We need to and it's hard for me to do this as I read things on as I read things on my phone, as I read news on my phone, and I say, where are these people coming from? I stop and say, I know where they're coming from. Just the natural flow of things out of their heart. They can't understand. They can't see. And it's coming out now more than ever in my lifetime. So that's what we see there. Satan, listen to this, he accuses, he divides, he puffs up. He tempts, 
He excuses, he depresses, he discourages. Everything in the negative, he's behind every bit of it. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't sleep nights. He's a very unique being. So where did it all begin? Begin in Genesis 3. He began his assault on God and his creation. Right in Genesis 3. Started right off. We know the story. Tempted Adam and Eve. Uh, his first order of business, rid the garden of God's holiness and man's faithfulness. He took care, care of that in one fell swoop. We don't know if it's 10 days after they were put in the garden, 10 years, 10,000 years. I'll be honest, I have no way, and we have no way of knowing how long it took. But at one point, finally, Adam and Eve were curious enough to break that bond. So Satan was able to, at that point, begin his assault on God and creation. And God doesn't have anything to worry about, as we saw in Job and other places. But that's what Satan has done from the very beginning. He's always the accuser. There's Old Testament places where, and I won't get into those, don't have time to, but where something would be happening and Satan would show up and he'd begin to accuse. Just like in Job. Uh, God set him up for this whole God set Satan up for all of Job to be written for our benefit he says look at Job there Satan what do you think well sure he loves you he's got everything in the world he needs Satan is still limited by God he's a created being he's limited in what he can understand but think about this guys Satan really affects us in so many ways. You know, believers' marriages don't last any longer than unbelievers. We should be ashamed. Do I always get along with that lady right there? I guarantee you, I do not. There are times, as we've gotten older, I've found some things to become more difficult with her. I'll admit it. And she'd have to admit it, too. And I hope she doesn't mind me being this transparent. But we have difficulty. But it never, it never approaches my mind to get rid of her. Mm. I love her too much. And I know what God expects me to be like. And usually when the difficulties are there, as I look back, I've been the source of more of them than she has. Our marriages, we don't set much of an example in this world. Our parenting, is that not a struggle? Uh, my goodness, being a parent, when, Joe was, when Joanne was born, we took her home. She was sleeping. We put her on this, our love seat there in our little old mobile home. She was sleeping, and Nancy and I looked at each other and kind of said, uh, what do we do now? And uh, she woke up, started squalling. We never asked that question again. She always let us know, and she's let us know all of her life about what parenting was like. Our work situations, we work with people unbelievers, even believers it's, that, that sadden us. Work sometimes is something you don't want to do. You get up in the morning, a lot of people say, man, 
I don't want to go to work. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. It's hard. We see Satan at work there too. Our neighbors, with our neighbors. Uh, I never lived anywhere where you got along with all your neighbors real well. Um, praise the Lord, the, the, the two that are, or the family that's in here this morning, the Beckett's, uh, they don't fit that category. In fact, last night, they locked themselves out again. The Beckett's have locked themselves out of their home more times than I can think of. Either call us or knock on the door, give us our key. Give me the key, we'll give it back. We have that kind of a close relationship, it's very precious. But even church family, this church has been through more difficulties in the last 15, 20 years, I don't want to even think about it. Not many of us have been here long enough to go through them all. <laughs> and and we, I wouldn't want to wish it on anyone that did miss them. But we, we get weary of all this. Don't you get weary of Satan's influences? I do. So why does God, why in the world would he allow these things to continue, especially with believers? Why can we say, Lord, look, you've called me to yourself. I'm yours. Let's, hey, could we lighten the load a little bit on us? Uh, I know we don't have the load that unbelievers do, but I'm, I'd like a, a little bit of smooth sailing here. It'd be nice if believers had a little bit of heaven, get a little bit of that Eden back and so forth. But I think there are great reasons. If you look there at your verses, why does Satan continue to affect us? Romans 8, 28. I think this verse is probably used more than any verses in the New Testament to answer a lot of questions. But it does this one too. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So nothing, I know that, I know that when death comes to family members, it's a great burden to carry, just like with B.B. and the family, carrying the loss of Basil. But that works together for good for those believers in that family. Loss of a job, loss of a loved one, a child. Oh, it's so hard. But our first, uh, our first baby, we miscarried, and it was interesting at the hospital. I said, "Yeah, my wife. I carried her in, had a blanket wrapped around her. The baby was. Um, I don't want to get too graphic, but was being born at home. It was four months. It was too, it was too early." And I said, my wife's having a miscarriage. And the lady looked at me and said, a spontaneous abortion. I said, no, ma'am. It's a miscarriage. And she said, we don't use that term. And it, it just made me so angry that she would be so uncaring as to care about terms, medical terms of the day. We had to work through that. It was easier for me. Nancy struggled with that. For really very tough uh, for a while, and then a couple years later, we, she became pregnant again, and we prayed and were concerned for sure. Would this one follow the same turn? So you know what God did? He gave us both babies in the same person, <laughs> Joanna. I always said when she walked in the room, three people come in. It's just amazing. But so we go through those things. We, we get weary of that kind of thing. But, okay, the next verse, staying in Romans, for 8, 38, 39. 
Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus our Lord. This comes from a man who'd been stoned and beaten and snake-bitten and shipwrecked. About everything that could happen to someone in those days did happen to him. He never saw those as negatives. I think he knew these things are going to work together for my good. It's amazing to think that way. And in Hebrews, a book written unlike any other in the New Testament, has a certain way, the writer had a certain way of writing. But Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share, meaning us, in flesh and blood, Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, believers. Therefore, he had to be made like the brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, he, for because he himself was suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. So God has perfect reason for us to go through the things we go through, even though we don't always understand them. Um, so when evil seems to be overpowering, something used in the Scripture from time to time is a term, two-word term, take heart. <laughs> That's what we do. John 16, 29 through 33, you don't have that one, but I'll just read that one to you. He had been talking to his disciples in parables and so forth, and his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. These are promises, not suggestions. So God in his graciousness puts us through these things. I want to just give you four quick, very quick encouragements. Uh, don't despair. Let's just, and I'm speaking to myself. Let's just not despair. You remember It's a Wonderful Life, the great movie, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, the good Christmas thing. We always, Nancy and I always pull it out and watch it at Christmas time. I, I like the first part. It's kind of kind of hokey, though, about chief angel here and the angels like little stars shooting over. And he says, hey, somebody down on earth needs some help. And, uh, and Clarence, the angel that comes down, says, what, is he sick? Oh, it's worse than that. He's discouraged. I, I took that the first time I heard that and said, man, what a spiritual, spiritual thing that is. The rest of it might not have had a whole lot to do with, with spiritual things, but it did there. Despair and discouragement are killers. That's what, think about it, that's what just weighs us down so much. And Satan loves when we're there. But let's not do that. Ephesians uh, 1, 11 through 14 
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we exist to the praise of his glory. So we need not despair. Never give in to the sense that because of random evil, and we've seen plenty of it this past year, life is absurd or meaningless. That's not the case. We'll go to Romans 11, 33, and 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how inscrutable are his judgments and how inscrutable, I mean, unsearchable, I'm sorry, and inscrutable his ways. For from him, through him, to him are all things. Damn to glory forever. Amen. And we never yield to the thought that God is ever unjust or unrighteous in the way he governs the universe. How many times have you heard of people shaking their fist at God or pointing at him and said, you know, if that's, if that's a God you want to love, you can love him, but I don't want anything to do with him. He gets blamed for a lot of things. But we don't need to do that. It's amazing. Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So the things that do occur to us in our lives are part of his kindness. Seems to be kind of strange there, doesn't it? That's the things that are spiritually understood. That's why the unbeliever can't even begin to comprehend. And also, never doubt that God is totally for us, no matter what befalls us. It is part of God's loving, purifying, saving, fatherly discipline. It's not an expression of his punishment in wrath. That fell on Jesus Christ, our substitute. So Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. You young guys in here, I remember hearing it too. Uh, this is for your good. Uh, and mom would take my own belt off of me and use it on me. She'd say it was for my good. And I couldn't. Uh, what? You've got to be kidding me. This is hurting like crazy. But he does chastise us because he does love us. Got to have a quote by someone, so I've got one from John Piper. Quote, in the end, Satan serves to magnify the power, the wisdom, the love, the grace, the mercy, the patience, and the wrath of Jesus Christ. God uses Satan. He thinks he's on his own. He thinks he's working for his good, and he does cause unbelievable pain and suffering, and he enjoys it. Think of this. Satan was, and this is, this is amazing, and it's pretty gory maybe, but Satan was joyful every time Hitler had a Jew thrown into the fiery furnace or was gassed in a gas chamber. We, very few people would have rejoiced at that. Very few humans would have rejoiced at that. But Satan rejoiced in each one. Each life snuffed out. He's good at what he does. But we have always got to go back to him to place the blame where it belongs. If we blame people and 
do not see them as loved by God and try to share the gospel with them. Now, they may punch us in the nose or so, just tell us, hey, I don't want to hear that stuff. Fine. We can move on. We don't have to feel like we've done a poor job. We haven't done something. I, that used to be the way uh, <laughs> witnessing a few times when I was younger. I would walk away saying, boy, if I'd only said this, if I'd only said that, I came to realize it wasn't my work to do. I can't convince someone. No matter how many times you tell someone the wonderful news of the gospel, they may look at you blankly for a thousand times. But if God chooses to bring them to him that one thousand and first time, that's what I needed to hear. Because that's, that's how it occurred with me when I was 22. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 kind of sum this up too. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I like the old King James, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If there ever was a people that should be joyful, it is us. And what a great way to reveal to the unsaved world what we had by someone saying to you, you know, nothing ever seems to really get you down. Uh, you seem to have smile on your face most of the time. I've had that happen one time in my life. I'd like to say I've had it happen a thousand times. But when I worked over Appalachian Tire and Crab Orchard years ago, uh, I finally decided to get the guys out in the, the uh, service area to, to, to like us inside salespeople a little better. God just kind of put it on my heart one day to go out and help them. Take off a few tires, use the impact wrench, take off a few tires, go up and get the tires, bring them down. Suddenly they, I changed in their viewpoint. It wasn't too long after that. One of them grew up by the coffee pot. He said, you go to church, don't you? And I, I thought, that's some way to put it. But I guess that's the best way some people can put it. I didn't say, well, you can go to church. It doesn't make you a Christian. just like you can walk into a garage. It doesn't make you a car. So, but I didn't go to that point. I said, yes, I do, go, I do go to church. I'm a Christian. I was able to witness to him. But it would be wonderful to have people come running up to us and say, why is this not bugging you? Why is this not getting you down? Why is this not destroying your countenance? Why are you able not to scream and shout and, and rant and rave and... Of course, I do that at home sometimes still, but we have something they don't. We need to understand that with people. We're to love them, care for them. I want to end with a long, long section of scriptures. So I want you to listen to it as though Paul were re was, tell was reading his letter to you personally. In the old days, the letters were written. It was a letter. There was no chapters, no verses. So we didn't have it like that. So this is the entire chapter, though, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> and there is a place there on your, bullet, on your insert, too, that just has something about dealing with evil, expecting it, endure it, so forth. It might be helpful. 
um, to you in the future. I don't know if it would be or not. I'm not even sure I'll even look back at it. I can't guarantee that I will, but it is there and it is helpful, I think. But listen to this. This is a, kind of like this, a summary of what I've tried to share with you today about who the real enemy is and who we are in him and who other people are without him to see Satan for who he really is. Second Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Paul puts it in perspective with God granting this to us to share, but how we're just like a jar of clay. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is, work, is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may be increase, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, it's a, a glorious, wondrous thing to be a believer. I'm sure every believer sitting out here has asked you before, I've asked you many times. The more I get to know myself, my 
the flesh, the, the part that strives so hard by Satan's influence to disregard you, to disrespect you, to disobey you, to wander on my own. I many times stop and say, Lord, why would you want me? And he just does. You do, Lord. You want us. Some reason. It's your own reason. Nothing deserved. All grace and mercy. But I certainly don't feel like that Pharisee that stood in the town square where everybody could see him, how he was dressed, and he had all the right, everything was right for the spiritual uh, greatness that he thought he showed. And he prayed loudly so people could hear. But I feel like the, the publican, the guy that knew who he was, understood clearly who he was, stood off up a little alleyway by himself, bowed his head and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What we have is eternal as believers, cannot be taken away. Thank you for that. If you, if you would have had us re-earn all the time salvation, we would be, of all people, most miserable, never knowing when we had done enough, never known if we'd said the right things, never know any given day, are we okay today? What a miserable existence, and you knew that when you created salvation through your son. We had to have the security of knowing you. So we as believers must go from this June 6th that has such a memorable, memorable day in history, but there will be so many in this country that will find fault with what occurred 77 years ago. They will label it in ways that are really horrifying to see. Unjust, not truthful. But that's the world we live in. It's no different than when Adam and Eve stepped forth out of the garden for the first time and looked around and realized there, there was no garden anymore. It was just this earth as it is. They looked at each other, I know, and said, what have we done? It will remain like this until you finally decide it's enough and change it all. But Lord, those of us who know you have a glorious place with you promised in heaven. It's our inheritance. We are here to the praise of your glory. What a wonderful place to be. I just thank you for the opportunity of sharing today with my church family. Give them a little piece of my heart and mind. We all know how weak we are, how far short we fall. And you know it better than we do, but you're a gracious, loving God. Go with us from this place work in our hearts and minds, Lord. May you use us to show and to tell 
the world around us, that there is a better way. Man's way will always lead to failure. And the next program, the next thing to try, but following Christ is the answer. Thank you for those who are with us today. Again, bless us as we go home. May you be honored. In Jesus' precious name, amen.